All right, go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Peter. We're going to be in chapter 5, looking at verses 1 through 5. That is 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. And uh, as most of you already uh, have guessed, today's worship service is out of the ordinary. Right, uh, we are today going to bear witness to the installation of our brother David Allison to the office of elder. Um, he's already been accepted into this office by the common consent of the church, uh, but today he will be formally recognized and begin his ministry as an elder. Uh, I, I, have, I have looked forward to preaching this sermon for a long time. I've been thinking for a long time, what am I going to preach whenever we install Dave? Um, so today is very exciting for our church. Um, we've been looking forward to it, and we are grateful to God for his grace toward Dave and toward this congregation to give us another elder. It is a gift. Paul says in the book of Ephesians, Christ ascended and gave gifts to men. And then Paul begins to list the gifts, and one of them is pastors. Pastors are a gift to the congregation. We're grateful to God for another gift. But in light of the fact that an elder will be installed today, we will be considering the duties of elders from 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, but let me be clear before we begin. Though we are grateful for our brother David Allison, and we are excited to see him flourish and bear fruit in the work of the ministry this service is not about him. It's not. I heard him praying earlier today before we began the service, and he said, God, this isn't about me today. Amen. It's not about him. This is a worship service, <laughs> so this gathering is about Christ. We're here to worship our triune God. Even, even our brother's installation is actually, follow with me on this, it's about what Christ has done in gifting and calling and leading this congregation to recognize what Christ has done in our brother David. That's what this is. Everything we do in our worship gathering is for the glory of the risen Lord and head of the church, Jesus Christ. And so we're not going to talk about Dave this morning. We're going to look to the word of Christ to hear from him and see what he has to say about elders and what they are to do in his church. Now, some of you may be wondering, how is this sermon going to be beneficial to the whole congregation if this passage is mainly addressing three men <laughs> out of all of us, me, Stephen, and David? It's addressing the elders, right? So let me just answer that. Let me address that real quick. First, um, this text, 1 Peter, was written to the church, which means the church is to know what Peter says to the elders. So just right there, right, right on its face, you need to know this stuff. You need to understand the duties of the elders. But beyond that, this sermon will be beneficial to all the elders in this church to remind us of our jobs and refocus us. And the entire church will benefit when its leaders are operating and fulfilling their calling according to the scriptures. Second, or rather third, this sermon will teach the congregation what to demand from its elders with all the authority of Christ behind them. You need to know what to expect out of us in order that you might hold us accountable to perform the duties of our office. And this will be a blessing to the health of the congregation. Uh, fourth, this sermon will remind the congregation of their duty toward the elders. I'm only going to briefly look at verse 5 in this sermon, but nevertheless, verse 5 speaks to the entire congregation. And then lastly, this sermon will potentially, God willing, serve as a call to any men in this church who may be considering pursuing the office of elder. I don't know what God's going to do, but God may use this sermon to plant seeds in the hearts of men that he will one day qualify and call to the office. And if God so chooses to give us more elders, it will be a great blessing to our church. 
But know this, the office of elder is no small thing. It's no small thing. The church is the highest institution in the world. Why do I say that? It is the visible expression of the kingdom of God in this world. Is there any kingdom higher than God's kingdom? No. This is the highest institution, and elders under Christ are the highest office holders in that institution. To be an elder, then, is a terribly weighty thing. It is deadly serious. The elders hold much authority and much influence in the church. And if the church is to flourish, the elders must serve and lead well according to Christ. And so, we will now look to the word of God to see what his ministers are called to do. And may God bless us as we sit under the ministry of his word. Now, with that said, if you wouldn't are able, please stand with me now for the reading of the inspired, inerrant, and infallible word of God. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. The apostle writes, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our great God and Father, we come before you this morning grateful to hear your voice and your word. And we ask that you would speak to us and instruct us. But Lord, if you don't give us ears to hear, we cannot hear. And so we ask for more grace, knowing that for you to give to us will not deplete you, for you are infinite. And so we ask, God, that by your Holy Spirit, you would open our ears and our minds and our hearts to receive the word with faith. Cause us to behold wonderful things in your law. Show us Christ this morning. Show us how all things ultimately point to him and find their grounding and their fulfillment in him. Sanctify us this morning as we humble ourselves before your word and glorify yourself in us today. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Now, before the apostle Peter gives his exhortation to the elders. He begins in verse 1 with what I understand to be motivation for elders to listen to him. Right? Just There's a bit of a tendency in all of us. Well, who are you to tell me what to do? Right? Especially in people that have authority. Who are you to tell me what to do? So I think that Peter gives some of his uh, qualifications to speak to the elders a bit here in verse 1. He says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Three reasons why elders should listen to Peter here, and really why all of us should. First, Peter says he himself is a fellow elder. Now, he's more than that, of course, and we'll get into that in a moment, but notice how humble that Peter is here. He doesn't just jump straight into, I'm an apostle, listen. He says, I am a fellow elder with you. The humility of Peter is actually astounding here. I would have jumped straight into, I'm an apostle, so listen. 
Peter is much more humble than those men who claim to be his successors in Rome, right? I am the head of the church. I am the church. Peter says, I am your fellow elder. <laughs> much more humble than those men. It's Reformation Day. I had to let you all know that. Um, but Peter's letting the elders of the churches know that he sympathizes with us. He sympathizes with us. He understands the work that we must do because he himself is a pastor, right? Whatever church that he planted or found himself in as God directed him to move around and go to different areas to evangelize and help the congregations, wherever Peter was, Peter served as a pastor. By the way, elder, pastor, bishop, those are all interchangeable terms in the New Testament. They're all the same thing. Peter served as an elder wherever he went. So brothers, know this. Peter understands the job. He understands the job of the elder. He had the same job. Um, put it this way. He's a doctor who took his own medicine. right? He, uh, 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 he's not like many foremen and managers who like to give orders but know nothing about the work and don't know what they're talking about. right? Far from it. He doesn't work at the A plant. All right? he, he was daily engaged in the work of shepherding. So elders, you should listen to your brother elder Peter. He sympathizes with you and he knows what you ought to do. Second, Peter reminds us that he is a witness of the sufferings of Christ. As we've been walking through the gospel of Mark, this is quite evident. Peter was there in the garden of Gethsemane. Peter was there at Christ's trial before the Sanhedrin, though he was in the courtyard. We, we guess that he overheard some of the trial going on. Peter lived and was personally taught by the Lord. I think that's what he's getting at here. I saw him. I knew him. I witnessed his sufferings. And by reminding us that he's an eyewitness of Christ, he is, I think, in a veiled way, reminding us that he's an apostle. Um, an apostle, by the way, is a messenger chosen and sent by Jesus. And there are no more apostles today. There just aren't. Uh, there are some groups that will claim, Apostle so-and-so is going to come preach at our church. Really? <laughs> Did he see Jesus with his own eyes? historically, right? So an answer is no, of course. So this person's not an apostle. An apostle had to know Christ personally, be taught by him personally, and commissioned by him personally. And Peter fits that criteria. Peter carries the authority of Christ with him in a unique way, a very unique way. Again, chosen to be an apostle, commissioned directly by Christ to govern, teach, and lead the church. So then, what follows are indirectly the commands of Christ Jesus himself. Peter was sent by him. So Peter knows what elders are supposed to do, not only because he is an elder, but because Christ himself has told Peter what elders are supposed to do. So elders, listen to the apostle. He has been sent by Christ on Christ's behalf for your good. Listen to him. Third, Peter tells us he is a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. And I think here Peter ends simply. Peter's a believer. He looks forward to the glory and reward that will come from Christ at his return, a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Peter, and this is very simple, at root is just a Christian. He is our fellow Christian who looks forward to the day when our Lord Jesus returns in glory and in judgment and in reward for his bride. So as our fellow Christian... Peter is our brother in the Lord, and as our brother, he, like any good Christian, desires his brothers to glorify Christ and serve him faithfully. So here he says, I'm a pastor. You should listen to me. I'm an apostle. You should listen to me. I'm your brother in the Lord who only wants you to, to glorify Christ. 
You should listen to me. So based on these things, brothers, he is a trustworthy man. My fellow elders and congregation, listen to him. Listen to him. But let's now consider the duties of the elder. Peter writes in verse 2, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. It's one of my favorite lines when thinking about the office of pastor. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So we're going to stop here. We're going to get into to what it means to shepherd here in a moment. But first, let, let me draw this out. I think we may, maybe go over this too quickly. Every elder must first remember just who it is that he is shepherding. He is shepherding the flock of God. What I'm getting ready to say should encourage every single believer in here, as well as give a bit of a warning to the elders, but also encourage the elders because we are part of this flock as well. Pastor, you remember this. It is God's flock that you are shepherding. These are his sheep. They don't belong to you. As we read in Psalm 100, they are his. We are his. The flock is only your flock in the sense that you have been put over it by Christ as an under-shepherd to him. The sheep are not your sheep, and you cannot do with them whatever you will. You cannot. In John 21, Jesus tells Peter, feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. In John 10, Jesus, who is the good shepherd, says, I know my own. I have sheep. My sheep hear my voice. My father has given them to me. In Ephesians 1, the apostle Paul tells us, Jesus has been set as head over the church. In Matthew 16, Jesus tells Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. I know I'm laboring the point a bit, but let's keep going. Acts 20, 28 reminds us that Jesus bought the church with his own blood, so it belongs to him. He bought it. The Son of God has buyer's rights to the flock. He has buyer's rights to the church. So let me say it again. Elder, the church belongs to God, not you. And therefore, you cannot rule over it however you please. You can't. The sheep belong to God, and so you must rule over them. You must shepherd them as God would have you. I'm not saying that elders are little popes, but in a sense, elders are God's representatives to the sheep. He's the great shepherd. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. We are likewise under shepherds. We are to represent him, and we must represent him well as we take care of his people. So hear me, you are not the Lord of the house. You are merely a steward over the house. You are not the king of the kingdom. You are a servant in the kingdom who has been placed in a high and weighty position over the citizens, and you will give an account. When the sheep come to you and ask questions about how you shepherd, you must be convinced that you are shepherding according to the will of God revealed in the scriptures. If the sheep come and say, why do we do things this way in the church? Or, or, or why that rule? Why don't we do this during the worship service? Why do we practice this? Why this policy? Why this method? Why that decision? Our answer must be because after searching the scriptures and praying for wisdom, I am convinced that this is how the Lord would have us operate. And it's not my church. It's God's church. I was actually teaching the, the women's Sunday school class a couple of weeks, or last week I was, uh, last week or the week before because my wife was sick. 
and uh, we were talking about how women are not allowed to hold um, office in the church and aren't allowed to address the entire assembly uh, in a teaching fashion. And um, at, at one point, and no one was being combative there, but it was, well, why do you, like, what, why? And my first answer was, well, because it's God's church and I don't get to make the rules on that. I think that there are many reasons beyond that, but let's just start there. I'm not allowed to do whatever I want here. It's not my church. Elders, we have to have that view about everything. Why do we do it that way? Because after searching the scriptures, I'm convinced this is how it should be done, and it's not my call. It's not my call. My fellow elders, not only, again, is the institution not your institution, but let me highlight this again. Remember who the sheep themselves are. Remember this. I'll, I'll, I'll beat this drum a couple more times in the sermon. These are precious sheep. Do, do you view, let me ask you, church, do you view your fellow members this way? These are precious sheep. They are sheep for whom the good shepherd died. These are men and women for whom Christ gave his life to save. Jesus Christ loves them so much that he took their sin and he suffered the wrath of God on a cross, died, and was raised from the dead to save them. That he left heaven and became incarnate, lowering himself to the dust in order to save them. So much does he love them. He loves them so much that he lived perfectly in order to give them his righteousness to stand before God in the judgment. These sheep are precious to him. Christian, know this. You are precious to the good shepherd. These sheep are precious to him. They are precious children who have been adopted into God's family. Yes, they were born in sin and misery and were by nature children of wrath, just like all of mankind. But God made them alive together with Christ by grace and gave them the gift of faith. And through faith in Christ, in him, they have been adopted into God's family. God himself is the father of these precious children. And they are the precious bride of Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ has committed himself to them. He has washed them in pure water and made them clean. He is faithful to them, even though they are often foolish. He will never abandon or forsake them. Brothers, you are dealing with the bride of Christ. Don't you forget these things, Pastor. Don't forget these things. You must care for them well. They are precious to our God. And so they must be precious to you as well, for you are not greater than the Lord. Remember this. They are blood-bought, eternally loved, and kept by God. Why? For his glory. Why? Because he loves them. They are his, to use the language of Israel, because the church is the Israel of God. They are his special possession, set apart from the rest of the world in Christ. Treat them as such. Right? Just as we readily receive that these things are true about us, so also we must remember that they are just as true of the sheep that we are shepherding. And a brief note here, let me apply this to everyone. We would all do well, both the elders and laity, to remember this. The people that you interact with here in this church are precious sheep, precious children, the precious bride. Oh, if we would remember that about one another, how we might treat one another differently. How we might actually Love one another as we ought. But again, hear me, elder. God loves them, and you have to love them too. They are the flock of God. Let's continue on in the text. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. So shepherd, exercising oversight. Again, 
To shepherd reminds us that we're dealing with sheep. I'm going to say some things real quick, so bear with me. The Bible uses that language very fittingly. God's people are sheep. I mean, no offense, sheep are dumb. This is appropriate language. Sheep are dumb animals. They get in trouble. They get lost. They need, from what I was reading this, this past week, they need taken care of more than like any other kind of livestock. They die easily. They do not know how to get home. If they get disoriented and, and stray, they will die in the wilderness because unlike other animals, like a dog knows how to go back home, sheep don't. Sheep are dumb. They stray. They need taken care of. They die easily. Sheep need a shepherd. Remember that, elder. You must be patient and diligent. And also, before you all think that I'm just talking badly about the whole church except for the three elders in this church, uh, <laughs> Elder, you need to remember that you are a shepherd who is also a sheep. You haven't arrived. You have not. Neither have I. You're dumb. <laughs> you stray too. You need help as well. right? Be humble then as you shepherd. Because though you're a shepherd you are dealing with a we, and you are dealing with sheep, you yourself are also sheep. But Peter tells the elders to exercise oversight. And, and understanding what that, what that means will help us to understand the general call to shepherd. So what is this exercising oversight? It means to watch over the flock, to watch the flock. More literally, it's something like exercising oversight is look intently into, like you're staring at something. So the shepherd, the elder, is to watch the flock closely. One commentator put it this way, and I like this. I think it was John Gill. He is to know the state of the sheep he is to know the state of the sheep. So he is to know them. There, there is no autopilot pastoring. It doesn't work that way. He must pay attention to the flock. He must tend them. He must be involved with them. A great principle, uh, I read this in a book years ago, and it's and it shaped how I pastor. A great principle that the elder must never forget is this. Shepherds smell like sheep. Shepherds smell like sheep. Why? Because they're around them all the time. They're around them all the time. They're cleaning them all the time. They're dealing with them all the time. They're feeding them all the time. They are known by them, and they know the sheep. So remember that. Shepherds smell like sheep. You don't isolate yourself from the rest of the congregation and hide away in an office. That is not how this works. You are to exercise oversight. You tend the sheep. But what must a shepherd do? What, what does this look like, exercising oversight? Well, first and most importantly, the shepherd must feed the sheep. This is actually more of a literal translation here in verse 2. The King James at least says, feed the flock of God instead of shepherd. So feed. This is the primary task of the elder. Make sure that the sheep have good food to eat. And the flock of God is sustained by the word of God. That is the only food for these sheep. They won't eat anything. Well, rather, they may eat other things. The other things will kill them. This is the only safe food for the flock of God is the word of God. And that's why the Apostle Paul tells Timothy something very important in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. So, my fellow elders, listen. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. 
What does that mean? When it's popular and when it's not popular, you preach the word. What else does he say? Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. This is how you're to teach. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with patience and teaching. Elders, hear me. Preach the word. Feed the flock with the pure word of God. It is the only food that will sustain them. You are to devote yourself. Oh, this is the life of the minister. You are to devote yourself to the best of your ability to mastering the contents of the sacred book and being mastered by it. You are to make it your primary focus to understand the scriptures so that you can accurately explain them and convey the truth of the scriptures to the people of God. Preach the word, brothers. Preach it as it reads. Preach it with the tone it conveys. Water nothing down. To borrow an illustration from Stephen Lawson, you don't make the food. You just serve the food. Don't mess with it. The food is already perfect. Your job, you're a server of sorts. Your job is to take the food from the kitchen to the table and say, eat. That's it. You don't add salt to it. You don't mess with it. You don't, nothing. It's fine the way it is. Preach the word. Don't use gimmicks. Don't entertain them. And don't use anything other than the true food, the word of God. My fellow elders, please hear me. And Christian, in general, hear me. This is actually applicable to all of us. You have nothing to say apart from the word of God. You have nothing to say apart from the word of God. You have intrinsically all of these things. You have no wisdom. You have no learning. You have no authority. You have no insight, you have no counsel, you have no good ideas, you have nothing apart from the word of God. So feed them with the food that the great good shepherd has given. Feed them his word. And obviously this feeding is done in our weekly gathering on the Lord's Day. It's what I'm doing now, right? I'm I'm feeding you the word of God to the best of my abilities. But there's another aspect of this feeding that many elders, at least I've noticed uh, in, in our area, neglect very badly. Counseling. Counseling. You say, where in the scriptures does it say that ministers are supposed to counsel their sheep in a one-on-one fashion? Acts chapter 20, verse 20. Paul's giving his farewell address to the elders in Ephesus. And he says this. He says he taught the church publicly and from house to house. What does publicly mean? That's not street preaching. I addressed you all publicly and in your houses. What's he saying? Paul says, I smelled like sheep. Right? Paul was in the homes of the church members. He taught them at the assemblies publicly, and then he taught them as individuals. He knew the flock that was in Ephesus. He was involved in their lives. They could come to him with their problems and receive private instruction in the word of God. Not secret instruction as if there's some kind of secret knowledge, but private instruction to deal with their specific issues house to house. And by the way, brothers, don't be uh, afraid of counseling. And by the way, the the world does not have, uh, secular counseling does not rule the day. Not here in the church. The Bible says the man of God is sufficient if he has the word of God. That means you just need to know the scriptures and know how to apply it to the sheep. That's counseling, by the way. Private individual teaching from the word concerning specific problems that an individual is facing. Do not send them to a secular counselor. I'm not saying it's a sin to go to secular counseling, but the elder is sufficient to counsel the people of God through their issues. That's part of the ministry of the word, by the way. The elder's job is to pray. Read Acts 6. It's to pray, 
and minister the word. And minister the word happens publicly and privately from house to house. Elder counsel the sheep. Feed them individually as well as corporately. Encourage them. Rebuke them. Remind them of God's grace. Remind them of God's law. Tell them what the Lord says about their life and their problems. And help them stay on track. Be involved with them. A third thing. A shepherd must also protect the sheep. Shepherds can't be cowards. They can't be cowards. As Paul Washer said, this job may be for wild men and fools, but it is not for cowards. It is not for cowards. They must, at times, fend off wolves. They must fight against error. I'm not saying that we're to be quarrelsome men, but elders must be prepared to fight against error and heresy and heretics and false teachers if they see that the sheep are beginning to listen to and eat poisonous food. The shepherd is not to go looking for conflict, but he cannot be afraid of it. If the fight comes to his door, fight he must. He must not be afraid to teach polemically. That is to teach against error. He cannot be afraid to name the names of heretics, whether they be nationally known heretics or whether they be in our local community. He cannot be afraid to name names and teach against error. He must warn the sheep. Really, he must protect the sheep from those things that, would, that will destroy their souls. He must protect the sheep. And lastly on this point, a shepherd must go after the strays. What does Psalm 23.3 say? The Lord, who is our shepherd, restores my soul. He restores my soul. What does that mean? He brings me back when I go astray. By his grace, he always tenderly brings his sheep back to himself. So then the under-shepherd must undertake, or rather must imitate God in this work of restoration. When the, when the sheep are straying and they're not coming around like they used to, they're skipping church, there are reports coming in about sin that they are caught in and things don't seem to be right with them, do you sit back and say, well, you know, uh, if they come, they come, and if they don't come for, according to our Constitution, six more weeks, we'll just discipline them out of the church is that what the elder does? No. He pursues the sheep. If it comes to discipline, then you do what you must. But the elder pursues the sheep. The elder must go after and, as he is able, restore them gently and patiently as the Lord does with each of us. And this isn't, the, the one, this isn't only the one who is near to apostasy, but a sheep can stray into doctrinal error and sinful living. And, and the elder still has to go after them with gentleness, firmness, and patience so that they might come back to the good shepherd, Jesus. Elder, remember this as you exercise oversight and shepherd. Remember the good shepherd and how he feeds you and encourages you and protects you and corrects you and speaks to you through his word and pursues you. Remember how Christ loves you and imitate him to the sheep. But Peter goes on. He says, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. The elder must never serve under compulsion. He can't do the job because someone else wants him to. He can't serve, he can't, he can't do this because the church wants him to. He can't do this because his family wants him to. He, he can't assume this office for any worldly reason. Rather, Peter says, he must shepherd willingly. This is an intense, personal desire to do the work of the ministry. He knows 
that the Lord has called him to it, and that the Lord of the church has gifted him for the work, and that the Lord of the church has put the elder's hand to the work. He's convinced of it. Now hear the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16. I love this. He says, For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. This is the heart of every minister. I once talked to a man at my, my family's store who's a, who's a pastor. And he, I, said, I said, how did you, how did you come to realize that the Lord was calling you into the ministry? He said, I remember going up to my pastor and saying, if I don't preach the gospel, I think I'm going to die. <laughs> he may have been being a bit dramatic. But he's, I get it. I get what he's saying. The elder says, I must do it. He says, along with Jeremiah, there, I tried to not speak his name, but there's a fire shut up in my bones and I have to speak. I must preach. I must pastor. I must shepherd the sheep. Christ compels me. Not man, but Christ has called me and I must follow wherever the shepherd leads me. I must. The elder does not do his work from compulsion. He knows he's called to it, and he must do it. And hear me also, the elder does not do his work from a sense of mere duty. Right? He has, a, a sense, again, a, a desire and love for the work, and that desire flows from love for the chief shepherd, Jesus. He wants it. Now, don't misunderstand me. Right? Duty is an appropriate thing. I know some people in our congregation are like allergic to this kind of terminology. It is your duty as a Christian. And people, I know you guys are like, ah, some of you don't like that, and it's okay to be wrong. Okay, we're going to work through it together. You're wrong. The language of duty is absolutely biblically acceptable. And a sense of duty can be good because it keeps you going when things are hard. Right? I don't really want to do this thing right now, but I know that God demands it of me, and so I must. But please hear me. If that's all you've got, get out of the ministry because it's not for you. Not under compulsion. Not just because I have to, but because I love Christ and I love his sheep and I must. Not just because there's external pressure. Not just because it's my duty, but I want to do this. Uh, a brief note about this. I, I want to be, let's, let's keep it real. Right? The elder may have days when he doesn't want to do the work anymore. I've had those days. It's at least a few times a year. I was looking at Autumn. I'm like, I could make more money doing something else. I'm out of here, man. I don't want to do this job anymore. Let someone else deal with this. Uh, and that's not that anyone in here does anything really that, that that's terrible. Some of you, you know who you are. Um, that was a joke. Uh, <laughs> but some days you just don't want to do it anymore. The elder can be frustrated for many reasons and temporarily want to quit. Those feelings Come and go. Why? Because we're full of passions. Unlike our God who is without passions, things come upon us and we change and we're fickle and we're easily discouraged. Those feelings come and go and I don't believe that they disqualify, but they must not be the continual disposition of the minister. He must do the work willingly. So elder, remember Christ who willingly agreed to save us. He agreed to the plan of salvation, right? the covenant of redemption. 
He willingly came to earth. He willingly took on flesh. He willingly represents us as our mediator. He willingly laid down his life for us. Nothing that he did or does even now is under compulsion, but instead stems from a willing heart of love for his people and love for the glory of God. Elder, imitate him. Serve willingly. Next, Peter tells us that the elder must shepherd not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now, shameful gain primarily has reference to monetary gain. I believe the King James is filthy lucre, which is just a fun phrase. Yeah, we should bring that one back. Uh, but the elder must not be in it for the money, is what Peter says. He must not be in the office for an easy job. Which, by the way, it's, it's not that easy all the time. He must not be in the office for an easy job. He must not take the office simply because he no longer wants to work in the world. The elder, though he may begin unpaid as our brother Dave is going to, must not be in the office because he hopes to one day stop working and take it easy and get paid by the church. Peter says, no, not for shameful gain. That is ungodly, greedy, selfish, and lazy motivation for being an elder. And such a man, according to 1 Timothy 3, is actually disqualified because he's a lover of money and a lover of self. But I think that there are other kinds of shameful gain that we could consider in our day. And so I just want to put these things before you. The, the elder must not serve because he loves power and authority. That's a form of shameful gain. He must not serve because he, he desires some kind of power trip because he simply likes to rule over others. Even a small group like this, some people, they, 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 just, they would love to pastor a church of five because they would be an authority over just five people. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with pastoring a church that small, but some people just want the power trip. That's shameful gain. That's shameful. And the elder must not serve for any kind of celebrity. You ever see these men on, on, online? You can tell they're just trying to use the office as a platform to try to start a brand that is just them. They're just trying to sell themselves to the church that they might make money. No, we don't do this for any kind of celebrity. Even, even local celebrity and recognition among churches or within this particular congregation. He must not serve because he wants attention and a platform. These are, again, another kind of shameful gain. Please hear me. Please hear me. That is not what this job is about. That is not what this job is about. Elders, this job is not about you or what you can get out of it. The elder in the grand scheme of things is insignificant. We, we honestly don't matter. We don't matter. And, and, we're not to do, and so we're not to do the job because we want to gain in this world. Right? The only significance that the man of God has is that Christ will use him as an instrument in his holy hands for his glory. The man is insignificant. This job is about the glory of the risen Lord Jesus Christ and the good of his sheep for whom he died. This job is holding the hands of the sheep and walking them home to Christ. That's what this job is. It's not about you. And so we're not in this for worldly gain. We're in it for the glory of Jesus and for a heavenly reward in the end when he comes. Not for shameful gain. And so, since we're not in this for shameful gain, we are to shepherd eagerly. He says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. That is, with zeal. 
with energy and enthusiasm for the work. We are to have a cheerful disposition as we do the work and serve others. Let me put it to you this way. This is convicting. The elder is to serve with the right attitude. To serve with the right attitude. Again, not for shameful gain, but because he loves the work. So, of course, he, he has a cheerful attitude. Hear me, brothers, hear me. And this, this will help you in the days where you want to have a bad attitude toward the work. We serve with gladness and a sense of awe that we have been permitted by the head of the church to do this job. You are permitted to do it. And therefore, we view the work as delightful in itself. Elder, I want you to know this and keep it in mind. To serve as a pastor is your privilege. It is an honor. I was trying to figure up some of the, some of the math this past week. It's, it is probably 1% or less of professing Christians that, are, that serve as elders. It is your privilege. As I said in the introduction, the church is the highest institution in the world. An elder is the highest office under Christ in this church. To quote or paraphrase John MacArthur on this, to become a king of an earthly nation would actually be a demotion for a minister. You would. View the office that way because that's the truth. You are permitted and privileged to do the work. So view it that way. Again, remember Christ, that he called you, that he placed you into this office. The king of all kings has put you here. The good shepherd has placed you in charge of these sheep. And so the work itself is a joy because it is a privilege. So be eager to do the work and please the one who put you here. Next, Peter says, not domineering over those in your charge. The elder must never be domineering over the sheep. Brothers, we do not lord our authority over the sheep like those in authority in the world do to everyone else. Why? Well, catch this. Those in your charge here in verse 3 actually parallels the flock of God in verse 2. Remember, these are God's sheep. Some translations even say God's heritage, not domineering over God's portion, God's heritage. The office of elder is not an office for barking orders at the sheep. I've heard horror stories from people about other churches that they've been at. The office of elder is not an office for barking orders at the sheep. You don't take this job because you expect to be served by others. While elders do have the most authority in the church under Christ, and we do make most of the decisions for the church, we are not bosses. We are ministers. Ministers. What is that? It's a servant. You are a servant of the sheep. Our lives revolve around helping and doing good for them, not being served by them. Not being domineering also means that you must never assume authority to yourself that doesn't belong to you. Listen up closely. You do not assume authority that doesn't belong to you. And here's what I mean. It's Reformation Day. This is fitting. Elders must never go beyond the scriptures. You don't have the authority to do so. The elder must never give personal opinions as if they were the word of God. He must never give rules and commandments that God has not given in the scriptures. He must never make himself equal with the chief shepherd by enforcing his will instead of Christ's. 
He must never bind the consciences of the sheep where God has left them free, to quote Jesus, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Never. You do not assume authority to yourself that Christ has not given you. But again, with domineering also means the shepherd is to never be harsh with the sheep. He must not be a bully. He must never use public shaming or intimidation tactics to get his way. Instead, he must be gentle with the sheep. Remember who they are again. Be gentle with them. And yes, brothers, sometimes we must be firm. Sometimes elders must do things that are unpopular. Sometimes you're going to have to use the strong voice of the shepherd and by God's grace bring things to order within the church. But you never abuse the sheep. You never deal cruelly or harshly with them. Everything the elder does, even if he must be firm and do something that is unpopular, it must be for their good. Remember, they're not your sheep. And so you must never lord your authority over them, but serve them and love them. Elder, again, remember Christ and how he served. He did not come to be served, did he? Mark 10, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He is firm when he must be, but he is tender towards them. And he loves his sheep. Everything he does is for them. Imitate him. Imitate him. And instead of being domineering, Peter tells us that elders are to be examples to the flock. Hear the words of the Apostle Paul. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Philippians 3.17. And again, Paul says very famously, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Terrifying verse. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Brothers, being a pastor is more about giving an example to the people of God than it is about lecturing them. It is more about being an example than it is about lecturing them. Now, I'll be the last person that you know to denigrate the fact that we must preach the word. I'm not downplaying that. But even our preaching is giving an example of how they should read, study, and apply the word of God. Everything is an example. We must preach the word, but we must equally live it and show how the word impacts the lives of those who receive it with faith. Here's a simple phrase everyone already knows. You must practice what you preach, elder. You must practice what you preach, lest we be the biggest hypocrites in the church. You know, occasionally my wife has rebuked me in the past by just saying this. Okay, Pastor Dave. Yeah, what is that? You're not practicing what you preached. Okay, Pastor Dave, sounds, sounds about right. It hurts, by the way. God bless her for it. Thank you. We must be examples. You know, I found something out this week I thought was interesting. Ancient shepherds did not drive sheep like we usually think. They didn't walk behind them and, and herd them and, and push them. Rather, they actually walked in front of the sheep and the sheep followed them. That, that's how that worked. Elders, lead them. Lead them. Walk before the church and teach them by example. If they follow you, they should be following Christ because you are following Christ. The elder is to be a living Bible. He is to be Christ among the people, so to speak. 
We're to, be, we're to be examples in serving, examples in leading our families in godliness and in worship, examples in piety and in holy living, in killing our sin and striving after godliness. We're to be examples in cheerfulness and in joy and patience and kindness and faith and the confession of sin, humility, gentleness, generosity, and every other virtue that you can think of from the scriptures. We are to be examples and lead by example, and demonstrate sincere devotion to the Lord. And again, to paraphrase John Gill here, in being an example to the flock, we are encouraging them to believe and live out the doctrines that we are preaching to them each week. It's for the health of the sheep that you give them an example, and for your own soul. Now, we will not be perfect. That's not what Peter's saying. We're going to fail. We're going to sin. We're not always going to lead the way that we should. But the elder's overall life is to be exemplary for the church. The goal of the elder is to be able to say with Paul, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That is our goal. So, elder, remember Christ, who has left an example in all things. He is first your Savior, and then second, your example in everything. Imitate him. So my fellow elders and would-be elders, I hope something is becoming clear to you. And I know we're not done yet, and I've been up here for a while, but you'll be okay. You've seen Braveheart. Calm down. It's a long movie. You can sit here. It's cool. Know this. To elders and would-be elders, I hope something is clear. Shepherding, pastoring is chiefly about remembering who the true shepherd is and imitating his love and works among his sheep. So remember him in all things as you set your hand to do the work of the ministry. Remember him. But now we come to the incentive that, that Peter gives for elders to do their work faithfully. And I promise these next two verses I will not spend nearly as much time on. Here's the incentive, verse 4. Why should you pastor this way? And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. When the chief shepherd appears, what is that? That's the second coming of our Lord. When Jesus Christ appears, and he will, as we confess, he will return in power and glory to judge both the living and the dead. And on that day, there will be a reckoning and a rewarding for elders and for everyone else. Right? He will, he will, he will judge all and give everyone what they deserve. So the first incentive for elders to serve well is this, we will give an account to him. Have you ever considered this, elder? You will give an account to him for how you pastor. He's going to come. That's the first thing that's implied here. If, if there's a reward to give, there's a reckoning first. There must be an accounting with him. So elder, please, for your own sake, serve with an eye on that day when you will stand before Christ and give an account for every word, every doctrine, every decision, every interaction you had with his sheep. This is no light thing because the day will come. Peter says, not if the chief shepherd appears, maybe you'll get by with it and maybe he won't. No, when the chief shepherd appears, you will reckon with him. But there's a lighter incentive. Obviously, the first one is implied, but here's the second incentive. There is a crown awaiting faithful elders. An unfading crown of glory awaits us, brothers. Not a crown that perishes, like the wreaths that the Greeks gave to honor people. And the wreath would only last for a short time, and then it would wither up and die. But instead, an, an eternal crown of glory that Christ will give. 
And this must be something beyond our salvation. Your salvation is already assumed if you're an elder, right? At least in, 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 the, in the scriptures, it's already an assumption. So Peter must be talking about a reward beyond eternal life. You say, what reward could there be beyond eternal life? I have no idea. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, there are cards on the table here. I have no clue. But it sounds to me like some kind of a reputation among God's people as a faithful man who pleased Christ. A recognition of faithfulness from the Lord himself. And if you sneeze at that, you don't understand the glory of the king. All for Christ to stand you in front of his entire assembly of saints and say, this man was faithful. If you don't think that's a reward, you don't understand the glory of our king. But whatever it is, I know that our king is not a liar. And if the word of God promises and says it's a reward, it really must be. Unlike us, our king does not over-exaggerate. And he is not under-deliver. It must be awesome if he says, be faithful and I'll give you something. It must be great. So elders, let this encourage you to be found faithful. Your Lord promises to reward you in some way. So pastor in such a way that you will be found faithful. And lastly here in verse 5, a word to the congregation. Just the first part of verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. In the same way, likewise, in the same way Peter has addressed elders, he now speaks to the younger. The younger are those who are not elders. So now he's addressing anyone in the church who is not an elder. He's talking to the whole church. And he says this, you must be subject to the elders. I'll be very quick. You must listen to them. Listen to them. Embrace the doctrine they teach, so long as it's biblical. Receive the word of God from them without fighting them about it. You must listen and put into practice the counsel that they give you from Scripture. You must take their rebukes and reproof and correction to heart and submit. You must treat them with the respect that is due to them by virtue of the office that Christ has placed them in. To be subject, then, is to recognize that they have legitimate authority over you in the church that Christ has given them. Now, let me say this. This does not mean that you should never question your elders. Far from it. Actually, me and Stephen get quite excited whenever you guys say, hey, I want to challenge you on something. It's like, oh, great. This is good, actually. If we're wrong or behaving sinfully or not doing our job as defined by Scripture or we're making bad, bad decisions that hurt the sheep or teaching contrary to the Scriptures or anything like that, confront us. We're not little popes. Confront us with the Scriptures. But please, I beg you, do so with a humble heart, a respectful tongue, and an open Bible. If you don't bring an open Bible, it's not going to go well. Bring an open Bible. But I must say this. I thank God that I see submission and respect for the elders in this church. I, I, I have been confronted when I have been wrong, and I have been corrected by people in this church, and I'm grateful for it. And I've likewise seen you submit to our counsel and our instruction from the scriptures. It is a joy to pastor you guys. I, I hear stories from some of my other pastor friends, and I think, keep those people in your church. <laughs> We're cool here. Thank you. Um, Sincerely, though, you guys are a joy to pastor. I, I have rarely had any serious difficulties within this church because you guys do. You are subject to your elders, and I, I, I thank God for it. So in this area, brothers and sisters, continue to do what you've been doing. You are pleasing to Christ in this area. 
But as, as I come the end, to the end of this sermon, let me say two things by way of application, broadly speaking. First, to the current elders, me and Stephen, and especially to our brother Dave, who's about to be installed. Does the work ahead feel too heavy? I hope so, because it's supposed to. If you hear this and say, how am I supposed to do all that? Good, good. That's how you're supposed to feel. We are not sufficient for these things. The work is too great. The job's too big. And so God now, if, if you feel crushed under the weight of what it is to be an elder, God now, so to speak, has something to work with. Because as the end of verse 5 says, he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourself. Cry out to him. Confess each day, God, with Paul. Who's, who's sufficient for these things? Not me. I'm not smart enough. I'm not wise enough. I'm not educated enough. Uh, I'm not clever enough. I'm not enough in general. So God, you must do it. You must help me or I will fail as a shepherd. Rely upon him. Search his word and humble yourself before him and he will help you. He will help you. And second to the church. See what you are to expect from your elders and what the elders should expect from you. Hold us to this job. And likewise, be subject to us. We are all accountable to the word. This church does not belong to any of us, but it belongs to Christ. So in closing, may God, the Son of God, the Good Shepherd, our Lord Jesus Christ, may he have his way and be glorified in this congregation as we all seek to honor him, both the elders and the younger. Amen. Let's pray. Our great God, we thank you for your word that instructs us and reminds us of our duties, each one of us in this church. But also, God, how your word is so interconnected that as we consider all the duties of the elder, Lord, really what, what we see is be like Christ. Remember what Christ has done. Remember how Christ loves the sheep. Remember how Christ deals with you. So, God, we thank you that though this text addresses the elders, it points us to our Lord Jesus. We thank you for him. We thank you that he lived for us, that he died for us, that he was raised, that he has ascended to heaven, and that he is coming again in glory and in judgment to both judge the wicked and reward the righteous. God, I pray that you would help us all to be found faithful when he comes in whatever position you've placed us in, in this church and in the world. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.